Yeah, the clock is just about to strike four in this dirty old town. How are you doing this Wednesday? You well? You well? That's good. My name is Richie Allen. I'll be your host for the next couple of hours. Thank you for finding me. Thank you. Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now... Here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, I am here, really. Had to have some water there. I've got two great guests for you today. Coming up in the second hour is a gentleman who's not been on this program for quite a while. And he's brilliant. And he's incredibly interesting. His name is Bruce Fenton. Bruce is an author. And he's an independent scientific researcher. He wrote a book called Exogenesis, Hybrid Humans. Remember that was brilliant. He's now got a great substack and a great podcast called Techno Signatures. I've invited him on to talk about a couple of things, Bruce. I saw a story, or I read a story even in the Mail Online, about a lady in New Mexico, or Mexico, I think it's in Mexico, who believes that two of her children are in communication with um, beings from a different origin, from a different realm, maybe. But I also wanted to ask him about this guy that everybody's talking about this week, David Grouch, this uh, US Air Force officer, and former intelligence official who appeared on the Rogan programme to talk about um, disclosure. So lots to talk about with Bruce a bit later on. Before that, I welcome back a regular guest of the programme, the Conservative commentator, geopolitical analyst and broadcaster, David Vance. David will be on the programme this hour, and we've, uh, well, we've quite a bit to talk about, I think. As usual, you can reach out to me via the website, via the app, and I hope you do. Have your say. Have a rant. Have a rant. Go on, have a rant, have a rant. Yeah, have a rant. Sure, who, you know, why not? Like, anyway. Yeah, it's been a, it's been an, an interesting day. It's getting a bit cooler, isn't it? It's getting a bit cooler. Those of us who get up really early in the mornings to take the furry animals to the park, spare a sword for us. You know, the long johns are about to be dusted down, I think. I never had a pair of long johns in my life, I swear. Or thermals. No, I'm a proper man. I go out in the wife beater. That string vest. I go out. No, I don't. I have a, I have a parka. I have a parka. Yeah. Nothing says that you're not anti-Semitic more than wearing a German parka jacket, a pair of Doc Martens, and walking around with a German Shepherd. I swear I'm not anti-Semitic. I don't care what anybody says. Right. Right. Okay. Enough of that shite. Today is the 60th anniversary of the death of uh, JFK. You know this, of course you do. And um, each time this anniversary comes around, I think of the late, great Jim Mars. I think of him often, to be honest, but especially today. And as I said, the anniversary is uh, a big one. It's 60. Uh, Jim was a great man, Jim Mars, a truly great journalist. And his books, by the way, you can still buy them. And I recommend them because, God, did they predict what was going down. Oh, they did. Uh, Jim's book, Crossfire, was the inspiration for Oliver Stone's JFK And you might think it's strange that I'm not marking it with an interview today, but I'll ask you, and you can share your thoughts with me, what what is left to say about it, really? I mean, was JFK taking on the Federal Reserve, greenback currency, was he? Was it Vietnam? Was it the mob? Was it all of the above? Was it a jealous husband? Probably not a jealous husband. Although, God knows, he had his fair share, didn't he, JFK? 
But um, yeah, 60, does it mean anything to you anymore? Are we too far down the down the road now? Even with things like September the 11th, you know, has the opportunity, has the window of opportunity closed in terms of once and for all solving those mysteries? You know, by mystery, we know that the official version of both the assassination of JFK and September the 11th is complete nonsense. We know this, but... And we know that these things were, were, were done by very dark, very shadowy organisations. And we know, we probably know for for what end. We probably do know that. But the fine details, well, those will be debated probably till the end of time. Listen, Mexican actress Melissa Barrera has been fired from a forthcoming Scream film sequel. Why are they continuing to make sequels to Scream? The first one was really good with Drew Barrymore. And Nev Campbell. Was it Drew Barrymore? It was. She was the first girl murdered in it. Wes Craven. And maybe one or two of the sequels then. But, I mean, what are they... Anyway, they're making more of these bloody things, right? They call films franchises now. Art has disappeared from filmmaking. Mostly. Not entirely, but mostly. Franchises. So, Melissa Barrera, what did she do anyway? Well, she only went and posted about what's happening in Gaza, didn't she? And she reshared a post that accused Israel of genocide and ethnic cleansing. See, I hate this, and it isn't just about this issue, it's about everything. So Spyglass is making the film, it's a huge company. It said uh, the company had zero tolerance for anti-Semitism or the incitement of hate in any form. This is disgusting. She's adopted the position, this young actress, that what's happening in Gaza is a genocide. Now, I'm quite happy for people to come on this programme, which I have, I have had people on this programme, in, in, in including the journalist Daniel Benami, himself an Israeli, who came on to argue his opinion is that it isn't genocide. It is, and I told him it is, but then I shut up and I let him speak, right? So I'll hear anybody's point of view, but how dare anybody fire anybody for having an opinion? And this is what's happening, and this is one example of it. So she's not commented really, Barrera, on this, this actress who's just been kicked out of a job and humiliated because she doesn't like what's happening in Gaza. And speaking of films, Susan Sarandon, who's in the twilight of her career, but she's a great actress. Really, I really like Susan Sarandon. Um, loved her in Dead Man Walking, of course, with Sean Penn, where she played that legendary nun, who, it's a disgrace, I can't remember her name. I think early on said dementia has gripped me. And I'm the guy who campaigned against capital punishment for years. What's her name, sister? Remind me, remind me. Anyway, she plays... I remember the character, Ponsolate, the guy who eventually dies. Anyway, Susan Sarandon's management company fired her. Again, over protesting. She went out publicly and stood in a pro-Palestinian march. Like, isn't it your human right to have an opinion, isn't it? Well, not anymore it isn't. Because this idea, it's time has come, it's arrived now, you will be punished for wrong think. And at the moment, if you're in the public eye, wrong think is saying, I think what, in, what Israel is doing ta- is tantamount to genocide. Because it is. It's seven and a half minutes past four. Yeah, we love Susan Sarandon. Selma and Louise, great film that, with a crazy ending. I didn't like the ending at all. Anyway, I mean, they would, yeah, well, they probably would have went to jail for life, wouldn't they? Yeah, fair enough. Anyway, to hell with Jeremy Hunt's autumn statement. It means nothing. It's bollocks, the Tories, Labour, the Republicans, the Democrats, Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, Sinn Féin are delivering the Great Reset, every one of them. 
So it is spurious to be talking about the budget and the fact that the the frozen alcohol duty. Yeah, so there you have spoken about the budget. That's all I'm going to say. Do you want to laugh? Um, I'm going to give you a laugh. You mightn't laugh now, but I laughed, and that's all that matters to me is that I laughed. Um, I sometimes take the unmerciful piss out of an LBC radio presenter called James O'Brien. And I'm going to do it again today for the next 10 minutes. All right, five. Five. Jesus, I'll meet you halfway. Now, James O'Brien apologised to his listeners this morning. He has a few listeners, right? And he apologised to them for not caring enough about climate change. This is why he wanted to apologise for not caring enough. I don't care enough. I still don't care enough. I say that and I feel my... I, I, I feel my... I'm not going to say, my buttocks are clenching. What? My buttocks are clenching. What? My buttocks are clenching. His buttocks are clenching because he doesn't care enough about climate change. My buttocks are clenching. Right, okay. So he goes on. I just feel a sort of sense of shame kick in. I don't want to tell you this. Doesn't want to tell us, but he's telling us anyway. He's ashamed of himself. Actually, I I still don't care enough. Doesn't care enough? And I don't know why, because I'm not thick. Well, that's debatable. I understand. I'm not Andy. I know that if... 90, Who the hell is Andy? 90-odd percent of the world. How many scientists does he believe um, believe that anthropogenic warming is a clear and present danger to humanity? Who the if 90-odd percent of the world's scientists... 90-odd percent, yeah. ...scientists can prove something to be true, then it's true. I'm not... But they haven't proved anything. The inter governmental panel on climate change hasn't proved that CO2 okay, emissions from human beings and due to human activity is warming the planet. There is no proof of it whatsoever, right? And again, thousands of scientists recently signed a, a what would you call it? The, a declaration to say that this is nonsense in the extreme. And he must know this. Dangerous. I'm not sticking my head in the sand. I've made changes in my own life, not big ones, but... He's not dangerous. He's not dangerous, you know, like the right-wingers who don't believe in climate change. He's not a denier. He's not burying his head in the sand. And he's made changes in his life, little changes, to reduce his own carbon footprint. But Well, quite big ones, but not... Quite big ones. Not earth-shattering ones. What have you done, James? I used to get a car to work every day. I used to be driven to work every day, as is befitting of a broadcaster of my status and reputation. He used to be driven to work every day. And renowned. Now I don't. I get a bus and a train. A bus and a tube to work. In fact, I got a bus earlier this week that had my own face on the side. Right, so he got on a bus and his own face was plastered on the side of it. Advertisement for his programme, presumably. Do you know that if you have your face on the side of a bus, there is absolutely no special treatment as a passenger when you get on it? So you got your face on the side of a bus, you get no special treatment when you get on, you're just treated like everybody else. So people don't even notice. I, how, how annoyed with me would you... He started this monologue by lamenting the fact that he doesn't care enough about climate change. Would you be, if I told you that I wanted to tell other people at the bus stop, because I, 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 I travel quite incognito, I like to wear a big hat, a nice woolly hat, and sometimes I have my hood up. But I'm standing at the bus stop and the bus comes, comes to a halt by the bus stop, and there's my face on the side of the bus. I think people would find that quite amusing if I were to go to you. If you were standing next to a bloke at the bus stop, right, and he kind of nudged you gently and said, look, 
and then smiled at you in a slightly vacant way, you'd be quite... It, it, it's a notable moment, right? The bloke, I don't believe it. There's a bloke on the side of a bus and I'm standing next to him at the bus stop. Yeah, truthfully, he doesn't wear a hat or a hood. And I bet you he's walked around smiling in people's faces and nodding back, smiling at them and nodding back to the picture on the bus. But you know, folks are so wrapped up into their phones now. They're so embedded in their phones and they're completely disconnected from other human beings and their fellow travellers. They don't recognise his shit-eating grin. That's probably the reality. That's just interesting, right? But I don't do it because I'm on this constant quest to be less conceited. And I mention that because today I am making it all about me. I don't know why. I don't care more. Why do I not care more about climate change? Because it isn't happening. Maybe that's, maybe that's it. 13 minutes past the hour. Let's stay with him for a couple of minutes because he wanted to talk about misogyny. And this is a bit more serious. You know, we talk about the... There was a report out today... There was a report out yesterday about eating disorders, wasn't there? Um, on the increase in, in boys and girls. There was another horrible report today about the deterioration of... Um, about how... Let me, let me bring it up, in fact. Let me just not say that. Let me bring it up. Let me bring it up. Uh, let's see. Let me bring it up. There was a story today. I did it in the papers this morning, I think. Uh, it is that story, excuse me. It's that story, right? The number of older teenage girls with eating disorders has risen to 20%, right? And there were stories yesterday and in the papers on Monday as well, which talked about the uh, mental health problems with kids. And one of the ways, there are many ways they are they are harming the mental well-being of children many ways, right? Obviously, the scaremongering around climate, the scaremongering around Israel, around Ukraine, all of that. Don't kill granny, COVID, keeping kids away from each other during the scamdemic, all of these things. But another way that they have of really going after kids is by constantly telling kids that they are bad, particularly boys, that you are bad human beings. You're not good. There's something wrong with you, something which needs to be corrected. And this is terrible, right? You, you, again, I, I know I've said this before, but, but if you've ever interviewed domestic abuse victims, and, and I used to do that quite a bit when I worked in commercial radio, women would tell stories about how they were constantly undermined, constantly, not in uh, public, but in private, where husbands or boyfriends would constantly tell them they were worthless or useless or stupid or that something they were doing was wrong or was harmful. And they're doing this to children all the time now, particularly boys, Constantly, constantly sniping away at them, telling them there's something wrong with them. Listen to this garbage from O'Brien this morning. This isn't funny. Well, maybe it wasn't funny earlier. This is not funny. How do you deal with misogyny in your own son? What? I really want you to talk to me about this. So th there's a broad question here about single-sex schools. I've got a feeling that they're good for girls and bad for boys. If I had to put together a thesis, that would be it. That would be his thesis. Simple as that. One, one line. Single-sex schools, good for girls, bad for boys. Because why? If your boy starts presenting you with evidence of fairly genuine misogyny, women are belongings, women should be disciplined, women shouldn't drive, women belong in the home. I bet you there's not a single boy in this country. I bet you there is not a single white British boy in this country who has ever come home and said to his parents, women are belongings, women belong in the home, Women should be disciplined. I, I doubt it. I can't see it. I don't know about you. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, the Republicans in America have tried to dress it up as a positive. They call it the, the trad wife scenario. And it's, you know, alpha males will look after their women and all of that. I mean, it's absolute baloney. It's all about 
robbing women of autonomy. Well, it's not baloney at all, in fact. I've seen many very strong, very well-spoken women speak on this issue, not just on American television, but on European television, saying that they are uh, completely autonomous in the choices they make and that they believe that it, the best thing for the family, particularly for the young children, is to be as close to mum as possible in the very early years of their lives. I, I've heard a lot of that from people. It's not anti-feminist. It's not misogynistic. It's a case of, I believe that I should be there for them and they shouldn't be looked after by a nanny while I go and do a job in the city. And I've heard women, very intelligent women, who've said that when they had their first child, they realised just how fucking ridiculous their job in the city really is. How utterly worthless it is. Working 12 hours a day, taking emails at 3 o'clock in the morning for some intercity fucking firm to make millions for shareholders. I've actually heard women say, I've interviewed a woman who said this. And I look at this little bundle of joy in my arms and I thought, well, I need to look after her or him and uh, I need to be with him and build a nest, build a home, be there for him, be there for her. So it's not as black and white as O'Brien would like you to believe it. But I still don't buy for a minute that kids are coming home by saying women are belongings. You know, women are somehow lesser. Women need to be dealt with. I just don't buy this at all. This is bullshit, right? This is programming. But if it's your own son... How, 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 well, just how does it feel? What? How does what feel? Exactly. Not just how do you deal with it, but how much of it is your fault? What? So two questions. One about single sex schools and whether or not they do do, as, as I fear, some fairly deep damage, especially boys. If you went to an all-boys school, do share with me, please. Do you feel that you lost out somehow? Because uh, I'm guessing some blokes might think they did. I was very fortunate. I went to co-ed schools, primary school and secondary. I went to St. Saviour's in Ballybeg, boys and girls. I went to St. Paul's Community College. On Browns Road in Waterford, it was boys and girls. And I, I, and I was very awkward around girls. I didn't have a lot of success. But I was delighted to be around girls. <laughs> you know? I was quite happy. It was great to have girls you know, to talk to and look at from a distance, um, all shy in that. But um, if you went to an all-boys school, do you think he's got a point here that, you, you know, that you, you some, you're somehow at a disadvantage when you finish high school? Let me know. Uh, he goes on. But the second question, because this conversation about single-sex schools is inspired by misogyny, it is girls' schools insisting or, or, or seeking to mix more with boys' schools in the hope of diluting the misogyny that's taking hold in boys' schools... So there's more evidence of the damage it can do. Much more likely to be misogynistic if you're at a single-sex boys' school, I think. According to what, though? Is there any evidence to support that contention? Where's the evidence that you're more likely to be misogynistic if you went to, I don't know, a Christian Brothers school in, in Waterford or Dublin or Kilkenny or Carlow? You know, I, is there any studies on this? But what happens if your boy brings it home? How do you deal with it? How shocked are you? How did you find out that your boy was nursing, your son was nursing? Some pretty grim opinion. They are wretched bastards, aren't they, James O'Brien and his ilk, aren't they? They are the worst of humanity, really. Because I, I, I do believe they must know what it is they do. That they are nothing but deliverers of propaganda and programming to a largely unsuspecting listening audience. They must know that. He must know that it is the purest of horse shit that there is a misogyny problem 
with boys in this country. There isn't. There were always boys who had issues with women or girls, boys who didn't do well around girls. There's always been boys who've had opinions we might think are antiquated somewhat or are maybe inappropriate somewhat, but they were always a tiny minority. I don't believe for a minute there's an issue in this country today. I do not believe for a minute that people like Andrew Tate, as boring and tedious and, you know, system-serving as Andrew Tate is, with all of that old bullshit we've heard so many times before over the years, nothing new about Andrew Tate's spiel, all that um, overblown masculinity. We've heard all that shit before over the years. You know, it didn't change the opinions of young men back then, and I doubt it's changing the opinions of young men now. It's 20 and one half minutes past the hour of four o'clock. Let me know. Did you go to a Christian brother's school? Did you have the arse leathered off you by a Christian brother? As my grandfather and my uncle did, they were battered in a Christian brother's school. Absolutely hammered they were. Told you that story, didn't I, years ago? I used to get the magic bus when the magic bus used to drive down Wilmslow Road from Fallowfield right into the heart of Manchester City Centre. And I used to get the magic bus, it was 50p, but there was a Dublin bus driver, a man from Dublin, and he'd never charge me because I was Irish. He'd have me sit alongside him, not literally alongside him, but I'd sit opposite him on the bus and we'd have a chat. And he told me one day he'd received just over €300,000 in compensation from the Christian brothers. Not from the Christian brothers, from the government. Because he was battered. And then, well, I got to know him a bit more then. And one afternoon he was finishing his shift. Um, it was boiling hot, I remember. And he took off his shirt and his tie and he was putting a t-shirt on him. And you should have seen the marks on his back from beatings he'd gotten from, from the Christian brothers, yeah. Anyway, maybe they were misogynists, maybe. It is, um, what, what, what am I going to do now? I'm going to read some of your comments, then I'm going to take a tune, and then David Vance will be with me. Uh, do not forget, Bruce Fenton will be on the programme in hour two. It's Wednesday's programme. You're Richie Allen Show. Download the app. Listen, some Irish people have downloaded the app because they've used a virtual private network to do that, which is very simple. If I can do it, anybody can do it. It's so simple. It is almost ridiculously simple. Okay, go to your app store and look for a VPN. You'll get a free one. And when you use a VPN, it means you're surfing the internet anonymously. You see, at the moment, if you use your internet browser, if you use your, your whatever you use, right, your, anyway, I'm, I'm not going to say any more about it. Download a VPN is what I mean. Download a VPN and, and then you'll be able to download the app. But at the moment, it's not available in Ireland. If you go through the conventional means, the conventional um, way of doing it. Okay, right, okay. It's been a long week, hasn't it? It has for me. Right, okay, to your comments then. Send them to me via the app, via the website. I appreciate them. I declare, who says, I hate to agree with uh, O'Brien. Well, don't, Claire. She says, uh, my boys went to an all-boys school which had a dreadful reputation, whilst the all-girls school was one of the best in the area. Despite being very intelligent, neither of my boys left with any qualifications. But that's a different issue, Claire. We're talking a bit of misogyny here. Did, did your boys have a particularly problematic attitude with women or two women? Do please let me know. Um, Andrew went to an all-male Catholic school. Then he became an altar boy. Yes, and I'm not reading out the rest of that. Thank you, Andrew. 
It's not funny either. Lucy says, Our boy recently removed from mixed to single sex boys school. He's having such a fun time carrying on and messing around at the single sex school. It was a good move for him so far, says Lucy, who's in Northern Ireland. Thank you, Lucy. Uh, thank you to Ian. I agree, Ian. Uh, hi to Tony, who's in Rotherham. Hi, Tony. Who says, Richie, what an effing psychopathic narcissistic job is. Uh, sorry, what an effing nar- narcissistic psychopath James O'Brien is. Yeah, I told you, I'm all over the place. <laughs> Gaz says, Richie, a bus with O'Brien's face on. I'll walk, says Gaz. Yeah. You'd have to invent him if he didn't exist, wouldn't you, James O'Brien? It's time for a tune. When we come back, we'll have David Vance on the programme. Later on, we're going to talk about disclosure with Bruce Fenton. And that is something I'm really looking forward to, so I am. All right. In the meantime, this is Blondie. And Atomic, I'm Richie Allen. Welcome to your Richie Allen radio show. Blondie Atomic and the Richie Allen Show. It had a renaissance, a renaissance. Didn't it when Trainspotting came out in the mid-90s? Yeah. Everybody was playing it again. I remember that because it was on the radio myself. Uh, Greg says, not much of a fan of anything he did after. He says, uh, but Flintoff was out of this world bowling in the 2005 Ashes. Greg, what's wrong with you? (laughs) What are you talking about? Have I been talking about cricket or Andrew Flintoff? What's wrong with you? You're not listening to yesterday's programme, are you, Greg? You might very well be. Um, yes, you might very well be. Steve Berry was on, former Top Gear presenter. Very good. Very good. John says, I, I shared a story with Jim Mars. Um, he, he says, this is Scottish John in Austin, who used to listen to Clive Bull's late night show on LBC. He had a phone-in quiz and he asked a caller, who was shot in Dallas on November the 22nd, 1963, the caller responded, J.R. Ewing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have heard that one before myself. Yes, there's a, there's a great, web, well, there was a great website at one time, which was filled with hilarious answers given on television game shows. One of my favourites ever, and it's genuine, although I've never been able to source a copy or a clip, but I do remember watching it at the time it went out. Les Dennis used to present Family Fortunes for ITV and he had a member of each family come up to the podium, uh, two of them, and he said, name a dangerous race. And a woman hit the buzzer and she said, the Arabs, the Arabs. <clears throat> no, it's definitely not the Arabs, love. We were looking for the Paris-Dakar rally or, <laughs> or the Grand National. Not the Arabs, you racist bibe. But, uh, yeah, very good. All right, Jesus. Right, okay. Anywho, anywho, thanks for your messages. Uh, Len's been on to say, Richie, Brave Browser is a VPN and private ad-free browser all rolled into one. Len is the chief executive of Brave Browser. Thanks, Len. (laughs) Others do. Other uh, VPNs are available. No, thanks, Len. I appreciate that. Yes, if you are in a country and it tells you that my app is not available in your country... You, you will be able to download it using a virtual private network, which confuses um, your... Well, it hides your inter- IP address, meaning you can watch whatever you want, basically. Okay. Indeed. Simon says, Richie, from nursery to 14, 
corporal punishment, he says, then detention. I preferred the belt, said Simon. Thank you for that, Simon. And Ardell has been in touch. I, Ardell, who says, idiots like James O'Brien do not believe for a minute what it is they say. The more outrageous his topics, the more it drives calls into the station, which drives revenue. There is a similar idiot on TalkSport who would spout crap to get the premium rate calls coming in. That's Ardle. Thank you, Ardle. You know um, all there is to know about David Vance. He's been on the programme many times before. He's a regular. He's a conservative commentator, geopolitical analyst, and a broadcaster, public speaker as well. At times, you'll find him on davidvance.net. Do check him out. David, I reckon it's my fault because while I did say 4.30, I should have said to you, the programme has moved to a new time. And I've tripped you up a bit, haven't I? It's my fault. I'm an idiot. That's what it is, yeah. Let's listen, it's just good to, get, to hear your voice, Richie. Well, it's good that's to hear good you. I, do, you know, do you know, I get away with these shortcomings, these lapses by claiming eccentricity. That's what I do. I say, look, I'm an idiot. <laughs> but it did actually occur to me during the day to say, right, I better just say to David, by the way, like, I'm um, starting a bit early. But anyway, look, it's good to have you here, pal. We've got you too as the top of the air. Thanks for making time for us. Um free speech let's start there you've got an event happening which i want to talk about in a few minutes which sounds very interesting and very important but i want to talk about free speech um spyglass entertainment has fired a young actress who's uh taking part in or was uh, about to begin filming a sequel to the scream franchise um she retweeted something where somebody said it was genocide in gaza and uh you know me, I don't care what side anybody is on. Free speech is, is sacrosanct. So she's been booted out and um, Susan Sarandon's management agency has said, no, I don't want to make this specifically about Israel, Gaza. Um, but it's happening, this. And I was dismayed, present company excluded, I'm not certainly not accusing you of this, but I was dismayed to see conservative commentators, some of them who should know better, um, demanding that the pro-Palestine marches were cancelled. I thought, did these people not remember what happened in 2020 and 2021? What say yeah. you, my friend? Yeah, it's, it's dead simple. Free speech is, is pretty much an absolute, you know? So I saw that about Susan Sarandon and, and, and that other young lady. And it's, you know, it's pathetic. People should be allowed, Richie, to go and say whatever they want. You know, as long as it's not of murderous intent, uh, directed or incitement and against laws. They should, uh, look, and I have no, I mean, the problem about some conservatives are that they, uh, they lack the ability to see a broader perspective. So as far as I'm concerned, I've seen nothing that Susan Sarandon said or any of these other people have said um, that shouldn't be allowed to be said. No one's a, no one's for um, is forcing you to agree with it. Do you know? But cancel culture. This is the whole thing. Cancel culture is such a big issue, such a problem, and it's getting worse. And we've talked about this before. You know. And so if if, if we are going to fight against it, I think we have to unite against it. So that means it's not it's not about taking sides. It's about letting people say what they think. And you can then disagree with them vehemently. And you can say, well, I don't agree with that. Fine. Let it be at that then. You don't agree with it. Move on. Same with the um, parades through London. I mean, my, my, my stance on that was that I think people should be allowed 
you know, to be able to go out and speak and, and protest and do what they want, as long as it's not going to harm people. And, and that's from all sides. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm tr- I mean, I've tried to be as reasonably even handed as I can in, in this one. But what dismays me is, you know, a lot of people saw it through COVID and stayed united. A lot of people saw it through Ukraine, Russia and stayed united. And now all I see, and I'm sure you see the same, is division, disharmony amongst, if you like, broadly speaking, our, our side. And that, that saddens me. Yeah, it saddens me as well. Because for me, it's fairly straightforward. No human being on the planet is any less important than anybody else, regardless of where they come from. So whether it's a thousand four hundred Israelis, or whether it's thousands of Palestinians, um, their lives matter. Those people, they had aspirations, they had loves and likes, and mm-hmm. they had you know ambitions. I've always yep. been very pro-Palestine. It's not because of my socialist background. I know history. I'm a history graduate. I believe in a a proper settlement there based on the 67 borders where Palestine would have a state. I think the behaviour of Israel historically has been repugnant to the Palestinians. But that's just my opinion. And I was able to bring people on this programme in the last couple of weeks like Daniel Ben-Ami, who's an Israeli, who completely disagrees with me. And we were able to have that conversation. But now we're moving into an era. And if we can leave Israel aside, we, 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 we don't have to. You might have more to say. But we're... I couldn't imagine David Vance having a job in the city. Now, you're a smart guy. You're a charismatic guy. You speak well. You look good, right? You get on with people, I would imagine. But I would imagine Mm -hmm. it'd be very difficult for you to be working anywhere in this climate because it would only take somebody to say, and this is what really worries me, David, it would only take somebody to say, I'm very, very uncomfortable working in the same building as David Vance. Well, why is that? Well, because David um, is trying to erase me. Um, he doesn't believe the trans women are women. Now, that's not a joke. That's where we're going, I think. Or yeah. it's where we are. Yeah. No, it's, 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 where, it's where we are. It's absolutely where we are. And, and the real concern is for young people starting out on life's journey um, who have been on social media and maybe said things. And we're all foolish when we're young. Like, you know, all of us. Uh, some of us are foolish when we're older as well. But, yeah. you know, the, 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 the fact of the matter is that this is being held as as evidence uh, against people and stopping those people then being able to realize their, you know, their, their true potential. So, listen, I, I, I believe in, in the absolute value of human life. And as you said, Richie, a little Palestinian uh, child is worth every bit as much as a little Israeli child or a little Irish child or a little British child. It doesn't matter. All life is sacred. And that's 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 a fundamental, isn't it? I don't think any, if people dissent on that, then I think they've got a big problem because, you know, you can argue the politics of it for all you want. But on the fundamental value of the, the sanctity of life, then for me, that's pretty absolute. And so when I see, I mean, I, for example, I'm happy that there's a ceasefire or a, a temporary cessation or whatever you want to call it in, in Gaza. Um, I, I've consistently argued for, for peace. Do you know, I mean, I, I would probably be the opposite side of the fence from you. I would probably take, broadly speaking, a, a bit more of an Israeli stance. But then here's the other thing. I'll run this one by you. I think that, uh, and obviously when we do our programs, we cover all kinds of issues, geopolitical issues and all that. But broadly speaking, I think if people addressed what the problem outside their own front door, rather than interfering in other areas, 
where, as you know, as a student of history, um, you know, and indeed we know from our own shared Irish history, you know, um, uh, regional issues can be very complex, run over hundreds, maybe thousands of years. And the worst thing you can do is have neocons intervening in it and messing things up or, 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 or you know, arch liberals intervening. I kind of believe in let's sort things out ourselves if we can in our own countries and if we can help others great but let's not let's not go out and and inter interfere and mess things up that's all i would say yeah and it's a it's a legitimate point that um i would add to that look they they're they're useless as as um the americans say as tits on a bore the international organizations like the un they're yeah. useless but I, I i would like us to live in a world of, of justice where if you had clear evidence that a group of people were being um subjected to tyranny by another group of people that the international body rather than send weapons to hell with weapons rather than do any of that but that they would impose sanctions upon the country that had been adjudged to be doing the wrong thing as they've put sanctions on Russia and other countries in the past. And that's what I always said over the years, going back to the 1990s when I first became political. Every yeah. time the UN passed a resolution against Israel's behaviour, I would say, well, look, Israel will never um, behave itself unless you have some teeth w w with those sanctions, sorry, with those resolutions, and you punish it and you say no, no exports, no, we'll freeze your assets. But look, we could be here all day talking about that and I utterly respect um, your your opinion and you're taking a more pro-Israeli stance and it's good to have it on the programme um, because uh, it's sadly lacking on, on, on much of the legacy media. David, before we talk about a few other things, I want to talk about this. You've got um, an event coming up really soon with Andrew Bridgen. Um, tell us about that. And for just before you do, for listeners who might be new to either this show, they might be new to this show, or or to Andrew Bridgen even. Um, he's a former Conservative Party MP. He sits in the House of Commons now as an independent. He had the whip withdrawn from him, but largely because he had the temerity uh, on behalf of his constituents to ask about the safety of the COVID uh, shots and, and what they might be doing to people, which is a rather, um, I, I, I thought, a rather... Um, uh, it was a very decent and, and very right and proper thing for him to do as a constituency MP and uh, he's taken a lot of stick for this hasn't he David and you're going to be doing yes. an event with him really soon yeah, so we've got an event happening in London, central London location, uh, 12th of December. And it's something I've been working on with my colleague, Peter McIlvenna of Hearts of Oak. And we've got Andrew Bridgen coming along. We've also got Carl Benjamin coming along as well. So we've got two pretty uh, interesting characters. Andrew has been treated like a pariah at Westminster because on behalf of his constituents, uh, he's asked questions about the safety of the so-called vaccines and the adverse reactions, Richie, and the deaths and all the stuff, all that stuff. And he, I mean, as a Conservative whip removed, uh, sits as essentially a reclaim party MP, but essentially an independent, you might say, uh, at Westminster. But he's been a lone voice. And like, you know, here's the thing that gets me. There's not a constituency in the UK where there's not been some people have had injuries and died because of these uh, or allegedly because of these jabs. And, and so every MP should be interested. But no, not one. And latterly, uh, he's also been raising questions about the World Health Organization's uh, global pandemic treaty, which would, in the event of a future declaration of, uh, you know, a so-called pandemic, that would override override 
every of our democracies and whatever they say that would have to happen so um so andrew yeah i mean so i've got andrew coming along in the evening and then i've got carl benjamin coming along and people may know carl of lotus eaters and uh you know he's uh, he, he's an interesting uh, person in his own regard he's built up this amazing lotus eaters platform down in swindon and uh with carl we're going to pursue the issues of you know in terms of our country how 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 do you can you preserve your country from change and if change is happening is it is it the change you want and if it's not the change you want is there a way to deal with it and and so these are pretty big questions and we thought what we'd do is we'd look rather than do this online which is the easiest thing to do we'll actually get a nice venue um and have it there and people could come along meet myself meet andrew meet carl meet peter and um and and, and have a what I would say, Richie, is a pre-Christmas festive night out in London, uh, talking about interesting, interesting issues, big issues. Because we, again, and you, because I remember you and me talked about this, where they're going with censorship scares the hell out of me. And the on our ability, your ability to do your show, my ability to do my stuff online, could ultimately be compromised and maybe even terminated. I don't know. Um, so I like the idea of. Going, coming out from behind the screen and going up onto a stage and actually talking to people and bringing political debate, sensible political debate uh, on big topics to the people. And that's what we're doing. So we're really, really hopeful that, you know, people will um, uh, will, will, will go along and uh, um, join us on the night and say hello and ask questions and we'll have a good night. And uh, that's essentially what we uh what we're about if people want to get the tickets rich you just have to go onto my um go onto my twitter and sit at the top of my twitter and you see it you, you see the link there but uh but it's the first and if this succeeds we intend to take this concept around the uk to different parts uh you know and not just london it's just just so happens london's the first one we'll take it up north we'll take it to the southwest scotland wales wherever we can uh, and try and get voices uh, interesting voices to people, um, sort of, you know, in 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 three in, in D rather than over uh, social media or otherwise. Yeah, that, that's the idea. Bye. There's a different energy, isn't there? That's the thing about that. There's a different energy. Um, yeah. I I would say to you, um, why have you considered bringing people together who would have diametrically opposing viewpoints, but I know it's foolish to ask you that. It's next to impossible. And I've been trying to do it for years. Long before COVID, I've been trying to bring... I mean, I used to have Zionists, like hardline Zionists from Israel come on my programs years ago and yeah. argue with me. And it was very interesting. Sometimes it was educational. Sometimes it was heated, but they would always come back. Now they now, now they won't. And not, again, not just that issue, on any issue. You know, I used to invite Greens on. Um, be, again, before COVID, I would say to the Greens, look, come on, I, I've got a guy in Australia. He's a geologist. He doesn't buy into this climate stuff. Want you on. And there, a conditioning has happened, or maybe it's not a conditioning. Maybe maybe it's, it's even more sinister than conditioning. Maybe a decision has been made somewhere along the line 
um, that maybe those on the wrong side of these agendas have been told, do not, under any circumstances, get into any sort of debate, long form or otherwise with these people. So it's next to impossible. So I guess it would be the same for you. If you wanted to find some doctor who's completely all in on the COVID jabs, they're safe as hell, you're going to struggle to get him to come and sit down in a atmosphere of... Um, you know, a cordial atmosphere where we'll have yeah. a grown-up debate. It, it won't happen, will it, David? It's just not going to happen. See, well, this is this is the point you've you've consistently made. The days of being able to have diverse voices, let's say, on t- together arguing, it's so much, it's so hard to do now because I find that just like you, that um, if, if if they're you know if they are in favour of the global warming narrative or whatever, they don't want to debate it. I want to debate it. I would love to have someone come along and say to me, listen, global warming is definitely happening. It's man-made and we need to do blah, blah, blah. And if someone else come along and say it's complete fiction and fantasy and, and, and host an event like that, Richie, it, 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 is, it is exactly what, what you wanted to do and what you've done in the past is what I guess I would love to be able to do. But maybe there are forces out there that are saying to certain points of view look just don't discuss it right because yeah. if you start discussing these things you're going to get you're going to find yourself in a hole and and then that's going to give us problems so just just sit back but listen you and i both love the art of argument and discussion do you know and, and and so i fear literally nobody coming on and they can take a complete issue with me on whatever it is i don't mind yeah. uh, i'm confident in my own arguments but i i certainly as we go through this this first event it's really two different topics we're tar- we're talking for all i know andrew bridgen may well not agree with carl benjamin I don't yeah know yeah, yeah yeah but yeah. you know so so in fact actually i would suspect he probably wouldn't no i but, reckon uh, you'll get people i reckon you will get um you will get opposing viewpoints you'll probably get people who come along who maybe disagree with Bridget, and yeah. they'll be audience members, and that's a good thing. So, whereas, whereas you might not get some medical official, you probably will have people there who are a bit curious and maybe do believe in the jabs, but are maybe a bit curious, yeah. and that's a bloody good thing too. And of course, dealing with you, when they say, "Look, I, I disagree with you," they're not going to be chased out of there or shouted down. They'll be listened to because we're of that generation. Yeah. It's like you said; it's not yeah, even. Right. I, I hear what you say about being confident in your own argument. That's obviously important. But it's not even that. We we were brought up to enjoy the challenge of somebody saying to you, well, look, I, I don't get that at all. And, and you, you know, you, you there was no, this wasn't a kind of an affront to your masculinity, you know, somebody disagreeing with you. It was no big deal whatsoever. We, we learned never to take it personally when somebody said, ah, give over, David, that's just crap and I'll tell you why. You just sat back and smiled and said, tell me why then. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think it is, it, is, it is probably a generational thing, to be honest, because I'll, unfortunately, some younger people, um, if you challenge them, then they, they take the ball and run away. And that means that then you never get to interrogate. Maybe they may, you see, I've always taken the view that um, I, I'm open to learning all the time. I have no monopoly in wisdom. I have no monopoly in getting things right. So so I happy to expose myself to people who have very different points of view and who might convince me that actually, you know, some, some, something, 
I've got it wrong because yeah. I can't. And I frequently say this on social media. Listen, you know, I'm no guru, right? I, I, I'll say what I think. I believe the things that I'm saying are correct, but but I could be wrong because I'm nobody's perfect, you know. And and that's why the issue of art, the 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 art of argument is so fundamental. If you can't argue and discuss things amicably, as you say, in a good environment, then then we're the lesser for it as a as a society and uh, you know and and it it just makes life um sort of less enriched if we can't chat things through so i i love i love talking i think you do as well and i i like to argue and i like to hear different opinions and i i as you say generation i take everyone's i respect everyone's point of view it doesn't matter what age what faith and sexuality doesn't matter to me. I really don't mind. I'm just interested in your opinions. So, you know, hopefully people will come along on that evening, 12th of December. Uh, the venue, uh, for understandable reasons you might understand, will be released just before the event because we live in cancelled culture, Richie. So if I was to say where it was, it would be cancelled. But it's in a nice location in in, in uh, London, W11, roughly. And uh, as I say, if you go onto my uh what's it my social media you'll see the link across to it and we are getting people you know uh buying our tickets and whatnot but it's scary because it's the first time we've ever done this <laughs> do you know so uh it just shows you can you teach an old dog new tricks i'm not sure this it'll be great it, fun but... it'll be great fun and yeah it is indicative of the times we we live in i know that um up here last week or the week before it might have been last week um david ike was doing a, a thing with James Dellingpole. And again, I think they had to inform people on the day. I yep. mean, this this isn't North Korea. This is supposed to be a liberal democracy. Yeah. What yeah, well, the hell? Well, that's, that's right. When David and I came to Belfast about six weeks ago, I was at his event. I went to see him because, again, open to all opinions. And the, the, the venue was released about an hour Although, mind you, it was released about an hour and a half before it happened, but like he filled the forum, he filled the venue, uh, showing that there are people thirst for different types of conversations. Yeah. You know, and like it doesn't mean you have to agree with David Icke and everything or anything for that matter, or or me. Um, I just think people want to, you know, get away from watching that box in the corner and being brainwashed and get out and experience a whole rich diversity. You know, people talk about diversity of yeah. opinion, right? <laughs> That's but, right? Yeah, I know you're laughing. But it isn't, yeah. yeah, it's not diverse. No, of course not. It's not diverse. It's no. homogenous. I literally, people like us, we loved it. We're actually the original diversity people, aren't we? We want diverse, diverse views. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, yeah, that's uh, that's that's the problems that uh, David and James had. I got um, your neck of the woods. Yeah. Yeah. I remember a few years ago, um, the first I experienced of this. So I, at the time, the the radio show was hosted on David's website, and David and myself were close. We're not particularly close now. Um, no, nothing, no, nothing untoward. Or we just, we, we just don't um, speak really. But I have a lot, yeah. of, I have a lot of time for 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 him and for his family, and always will have. And I will always talk him up because he's um he's been uncannily accurate over the years in terms of some of his yep. predictions to, to give him credit. Yep. But um, David was booked um to to do one of the function rooms at Old Trafford. You might remember this, and mm. uh, I was going to do the introduction and then do a Q and A, and on the morning of the event they said no. And it was because a Labour MP called Lucy Powell, I think, rang oh Old Trafford yeah, yeah. and said, uh, you can't have him here. He's a terrible anti-Semite. Now, he isn't. Um, you know, Louis Theroux was on the record um, 
um, as saying, no, he isn't. When David says reptilians, he does mean reptilians. He's not a coward who's substituting Jews for reptilians. You know, he isn't. Uh, you know, and she, she, she was able to get him to kick him out. I couldn't believe this. Back in 2017, mm. I thought, Jesus, this is scary. If only I knew what was to come in the next three to four years. But so I'm, I'm, I'm terribly disappointed to hear this. You've got an MP. You've got a celebrity, because yeah. he is a celebrity. You know, he had, he had that court case, Car Benjamin. A lot of people like him. A lot yeah. of people follow him. And you've got to hold back the venue yep. information, lest somebody get you kicked out. And this is yep. the UK. I'm going to give you the final word on this. And do mention... Um, the 12th again of December and David's um, by the way David's uh, Twitter uh, D-V-A-T-W but there's only one David Vance if you look for David Vance until you find David Vance yeah <laughs> yeah, is right, yeah. yeah I've got the worst Twitter handle in the world <laughs> yeah I don't know what it's about that I, I, I took that uh, long, long long time ago and then suddenly realised gosh that's rubbish but anyway people know me so if you go to David Vance uh, you'll see the event uh, the link through to the event the top of my feed and you can click there if you're interested and you'll find details of the event. But honestly, we are trying to bring as best we can free speech, thoughtful opinion to, 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 to as many people as possible, live, actually live, face to face. And you said it right, Reggie. There's an energy about these kind of events. That David Icke event I was at, there was amazing energy about it. I've been at other ones, um, especially post-COVID. And I think it's trying to not try not, I mean, I'm not trying to be too pompous, but it's about bringing human beings together face to face, chat, chatting, you know, discussing things. And, and that brings out the best in people in the same way as social media, I think, brings out the worst in people. Yeah, no so doubt. I hope people will go along anyway. As I say, it's in London, central London, 12th of December. Please consider uh, clicking across and uh, maybe buying a ticket. You'll sell it out. I have no doubt at all. Look for David on Twitter, David Vance, and David's website is davidvance.net. Sorry for not letting you know that the show is a move to a four o'clock start time. I'm an idiot, but we got there in the end. Enjoy the rest awesome. of your evening, pal. Always good to have you it, on. It's always a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Cheers, cheers for now. Bye-bye. You're welcome, David. Bye for now. David Vance, a conservative geopolitical commentator, live on Wednesday's Richie Allen show. Yeah, I said 4.30 in the Twitter. I did say 4.30, but every time he's been on the programme in the last few years, it's been at 5.30, you see. I know. Eccentricity. We put it down to that. Eccentricity. Number of viewers saying that David has gone with a very, very strong Israeli support on Twitter, Richie. Well, it's not that I don't read David's Twitter. I don't really read Twitter. I pop on Twitter every now and then to to leave a tweet about the show or to say something. But I don't read tweets because I don't have time to. So if David has taken a very pro-Israel stance on Twitter, that's his right to do that. Um, yeah, I, I disagree with him completely. You've heard me describe Israel over the years on this programme. I don't have to do that. You know what I think about Israel. We heard a different point of view, and that's a good thing, isn't it? No? Um, Ray in Limerick. Hi, Ray in Limerick. How are you, pal? Who says, um, oh, speaking of quiz questions with stupid answers, <laughs> uh, Larry Gogan's Just a Minute Quiz on what, what would have been 2FM. Somebody was asked by Larry Gogan, what star do travellers follow? I'm guessing, Ray, the... The answer should have been the North Star, right? Am I right in saying that or am I wrong? Um, Joe Dolan was the answer given. Joe Dolan. Larry, Joe Dolan. <clears throat> no, it's not Joe Dolan. Yeah. I to Julie, who read today that Aldous Huxley died on the same day as JFK. Give over, Julie. Is that right? Did Aldous Huxley 
Brave New World, die on November 22nd, 1963. That's uncanny. That's uncanny, lass. That's uncanny. I can't do that accent either, as, as you've obviously realised. Oh, that's my favourite answer, Bill. I'm going to read this one, then I'm going to take a tune, and then we're going to get Bruce on. Can't wait to chat with Bruce Fenton. Uh, Bill says, there was a US husband and wife quiz show, and the game show host asked the wife, where is the most unusual place you have had sex? It was Mr. and Mrs. It was the American version of Mr. and Mrs. Right, so you've got a woman and a man on the game show, and they're asked questions about each other. And when one person is given the answers, the, when the husband is giving the answers, the wife is in a sound booth with headphones on, so she can't hear his answers. And if, she, if her answers match up with his, they win prizes. And he, he was asked, um, where's the most unusual place you've had sex? He said, in the kitchen. They brought the wife out of the booth. They said, um, so we've got your husband's answers here. Where's the most unusual place you've had sex? And the wife said, up my bum. And that, that's, that's actually true, that. It's a true story. Many versions of it have been told. But it is true. It has to be true, doesn't it? A bird with a long neck. Naomi Campbell. Winter's on its way and so are colds, flu and other respiratory illness. <laughs> a robust immune system and vitamin D3 are your weapons in the fight to keep healthy when things get chilly. Immunex 365 vitamin capsules from NutraHealth 365 combine effective levels of vitamins D3, C and K2 as well as zinc and quercetin to give your body that winter boost at just two capsules a day. Plus, for your peace of mind, all NutraHealth 365 orders come with free two-day track delivery. Visit NutraHealth365.com now and get winter ready. The Richie Allen Show features doctors, scientists, academics and researchers who have been banned by the legacy media. Support Richie now by making a financial contribution at richieallen.co.uk. Right, the time is fast approaching six minutes past the year. Can't wait to speak with Bruce Fenton. It's been a while, long time actually since Bruce was on. Um, Much loved by many of those who listen to the Richie Allen Show. I came across this really interesting story in the Mail Online. There's lots going on. I was listening to the Joe Rogan podcast and he spoke to an ex- Air Force guy and CIA guy and I want to talk about that as well what disclosure means what's happening why all this talk in the mainstream media and among politicians about aliens and alien craft and other worlds what's really going on right Bruce will tell us and um, Paulina Martinez has been interviewed uh, she's in Mexico and she believes that her two children regularly converse with aliens, the alien race known as the Pleiadians. And this has been going on for six years. A very interesting story, very well written. Make of it what you like, right? And as I mentioned, I was uh, listening uh, intently to um, the Joe Rogan podcast uh, this week. He interviewed David Grush, who's a former intelligence official and a former U.S. Air Force officer. And he once testified, in fact, this happened last year, I think, at a U.S. Uh, House of Representatives a congressional hearing about craft that had been reverse engineered. You know, where they take something that they don't know what it is, right? It's, it's alien. And it's unbelievably technical and very advanced. And they tried to figure out how it was put together and then put it to use, maybe, militarily and otherwise. Well, look, my, my guest is a broadcaster, a writer, an author. I mentioned at the beginning of the programme his book, Exogenesis, which he very kindly sent to me when we first spoke, is a terrific read. He wrote it with uh, his wife, in fact. You'll find them on Substack at brucefenton.substack.com, where you'll find Techno Signatures, the search for alien technologies. It is a pleasure to welcome back Bruce Fenton to The Richie Allen Show. Hey, Bruce, how are you? 
hi Richie, it's a pleasure. Thank you for the the kind introduction. Yeah, nice to speak to you again after what's been yeah quite quite a while. And obviously, a lot's been happening uh, in the world, but also in the topics that we're going to be talking about today. You know, obviously, it's been a massive change. I also listened to the Joe Rogan show, so yeah, I'm happy to talk on that topic as well. You know, what you've heard on that, or your thoughts on it, and my thoughts on it. Brilliant, uh, as well as yeah, of course, these other stories. Yeah, brilliant. Well, well let's start with this guy, Steve. Uh, sorry, David Grouch, then. Because I listened to pretty much all of it while I was running this morning, as as by way of research for you to come on, so I'd have a few things, uh, a few points I'd be able to put to you. I was a little bit underwhelmed by his appearance. Rogan's got an enormous following. Millions of people listen. There was enormous interest in it. And there was a lot of, well, that's redacted, and I can't tell you about that. So I was a little bit underwhelmed, but I was also interested in some things I didn't know about um, and that was craft that was recovered in 1933 in Italy that the Germans had a bit to do with for a while or the Germans came and had a look at and then after the war ended up in the United States and Grouch said that this has been tampered with or looked at or experimented on for, for many years. How did you feel about his appearance? Did you learn anything new from it? Uh, very little new. I mean, a lot of a lot of the people that I know and speak to share your perspective there that um he, he's not really able to supply anything that's you know what we'd call it, you know objective evidence there's nothing to substantiate the stories that he's actually sharing so you're left with it being a case of you know intelligence being shared but we don't know whether that intelligence is is based on misunderstandings that he has or disinformation from contacts of his or a lot of it just, you know, invented, you know, of course, and we live in an era, as we both well know, where there's a lot of government and military misinformation and disinformation. So it makes it really hard to know what to do with what he's actually sharing. And I think that's kind of, well, like I say, like a lot of people have shared the same kinds of thoughts that it's, um, there's a lot of talk of, I can't tell you that, you know, or that's sensitive, uh, or that's, you know, some secondhand account from another witness that we don't know who they are what they've seen you know so yeah it's problematic and that's been the flavor of what he's been sharing for the last few months uh of course over on some of the cable tv in the u.s and you know articles that generally speaking you can't get to a place where you could substantiate the underlying claims i have some thoughts on where it's all going and why it's still important but yeah it's, it's certainly a problem in terms of this isn't the kind of disclosure that most of us would like, right? Where it comes with a, you know, say, a video or a, a new report, something from the classified report that we could look at, or any of that. You know, no material science involved. So yeah, it's problematic. And I'm not saying this for a laugh now, but being, you know, being a journalist who's known about the CIA for as long as I've been a journalist, and I've known about the NSA and MI5. To me, they're not in the business of revealing information to the public, um, Bruce. In fact, the opposite. Their, their job is to conceal as much as possible. So I'd be sceptical. And I understand within the community, which is vast, obviously. I mean, you're a significant guy, obviously, in this country and beyond. But um, you've got to take anything that comes from the CIA or MI5 with a massive pinch of salt and ask the most important question, why would they want anybody to know? You know, it's not in their best interest, is it, to be telling us um, what's really happening with respect of um, what governments know about visitation, what they know about advanced craft. So, uh, yeah, I'd be very sceptical about it, to be honest, personally. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing, of course, is we can't disconnect this from 
the fact we're living in an era of kind of weaponized disinformation and strategic manipulation of the culture, you know, of um, social media and the, and the kind of the overall direction of, <laughs> of modern civilization, right? You know, that we're seeing that happening in real time, particularly through social media, where a lot of the, the engineering of human minds by the state and by the tools of the state, you know, because both their controlled media and their intelligence services, you know, it's, it's happening, right? So we have to look at it from that perspective too. So what, why it might be a benefit for them to, let's say, initiate some kind of uh, at least disclosure-like engagement with the public, uh, in my opinion, is, is more on the side of cultural change and directing us towards a, a potential unification of humanity again after all of these operations which have worked on fragmenting people uh, you know isolating people pushing people into conflicts you know i do suspect that one of the potential reasons why they might be doing a lot of the uh, engagement it's not just what you know we're hearing from david grosh but also what's happening in the in the Congress, you know, we've got some new legislation that's coming from the US. They've got the Schumer Amendment, which uh, I don't know if some of your audience may have heard of, but basically they're looking to put through some legal framework that would declassify uh, older cases to do with UFOs or UAP, as they're now called, uh, going back 25 years or more, right? Those, would, those should supposedly become instantly declassified. And then any new, new uh, research or document that is kind of created that within 25 years that would have to go for a review and potentially be released they're also creating a, p- a panel of nine experts and it's be kind of uh maybe the scientists some social scientists uh, economists you know this kind of council of nine that would look at any of these files and see whether they should be again released to the public and this this would if it goes through i my understanding is it should be around the end of the year it might get pushed further back and it also calls on corporations and individuals to hand over any alien or UAP kind of related artifacts or information that they're holding. And so they decided they can actually kind of have some teeth to go after anyone that has a crashed alien ship or, you know, pieces of some kind of alien technology. So, I mean, that's quite radical, you think about it. So that's actually going to be going through as an amendment on the next kind of military funding bill. So uh, clearly this isn't just about the social media engagement level. There's something happening at, uh, at the higher up in the hierarchy for that to have got to the point where we're seeing these amendments, right, coming down the pipe. Now, if you look back in history, you can remember that famous speech from Ronald Reagan that, you know, nothing would kind of bring us together faster than, you know, an external threat towards yeah. humanity, like alien threat. Right. It, it, it does smack of that, Richie, you know, and look, look at the world we're in. It's so fragmented. It's so fractured. You have to ask, how do these powers that be plan to bring everyone back together when they're done with all this, this kind of mayhem? Right. Um, and there's the old kind of occult saying, ordo ab chao, which is kind of order out of chaos as the mantra they use. So if you're going to smash everything to bits and you're going to set everyone against each other, what better thing to have in your back pocket to then bring it all back together at the end than the idea that there's aliens, right? Yeah, and, that, and maybe and hostile that, maybe hostile aliens, maybe an advanced race who have 
um, plans uh, for planet Earth and, you know, might want to do away with, with human beings. Again, I don't mean to sound glib because um, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm all in with this. Yeah, wouldn't it be? And, and isn't the technology now available to simulate this in some way yes. to convince people, Bruce? Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, even with the kind of the deep fake technologies that we're seeing, um, you know, and of course, with movie special effects and, you know, um, even the game effects now, we've got to the point where I'm sure you've seen some of the computer game footage is actually being passed off as real events. We've yeah. seen even mainstream media companies, right, picking up footage that's actually from computer games and putting it as Ukraine war footage or, you know, uh, from Palestine, Israel. So the quality now of digital media that can be used to fake events is astonishing and for the average person it's very hard to, to actually decide whether they're looking at something that's real or not so how difficult would it be to stream to us say the footage of a, a u.s fighter you know with them saying and now this is the moment the craft attacks and we see you know some kind of source yeah. or something open fire and then say, you know, it looks like they're hostile. I mean, they may not do that, but they could certainly fake that. Absolutely, that could be fake. And Bruce, we know and, what they uh, would do to yeah. people like you on social media. Because like COVID, we had COVID sceptics. Quite rightly, we had sceptics about COVID and other things. And we saw how easy it was to isolate, to demonise, and even to um, remove those sceptical voices, you know, who said, hang on a second, this is not right. And in the scenario you described, it would be quite similar. You know, those who said, hang on mm -hmm. a second now, we predicted this, this is probably nonsense. They did very quickly find themselves um, banned, blocked, basically gone, wouldn't they? In, in a oh, absolutely. You, you can imagine if, it's, if something like that is the intended outcome, then we would be the automatically the enemy. And you would be painted, no doubt, as being a threat to humanity. A traitor. You know? Yeah, and absolutely, because, you know, there's an uh, enemy alien threat. Everything has to be done to take that seriously. So if you were to be saying, you know, no, that this isn't legitimate, yeah, you'd be very quickly targeted as being a problem, maybe maybe a threat to the whole of humanity. So how easily would it be to them to remove you under that kind of, yeah. uh, you know, language? You're an right? invasion denier, Fenton. You're an invasion yes. denier, and you're putting people's lives at risk. Now, look, because I, I, I genuinely love your work. And I've, I've read your book because you sent it to me. And I'm not saying that. And it had occurred to me previously to invite you back. And then it just went out of my head. And then I saw this article. So I'm thrilled you're back. The reason I'm doing that preamble is because I am really interested in it. And I don't want in any way to denigrate the topic. So if you feel I'm being a bit stupid, feel free to tell me. But I do believe that there are some on this planet who, who do pursue a depopulation agenda. I do believe this. I, I, I don't come to this feeling likely. It's what I observe and what I have observed over the years. And again, what better way than to instantly remove lots of people in one swoop by saying we have been hit, folks. We know you're not going to, I mean, they probably wouldn't say we know you're not going to believe it. They would say this is staggering. It's finally happened. You know, we, we there are other um, there are other races and there is a hostile race and it is here now and it's just taken out. Um, I don't know. It's just taken out Gibraltar. And it's simultaneously taken out um, southern Italy and it's taken out the Republic of Ireland. I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, what what a great way to do that and obliterate millions of people in one fell swoop and, and say it's, it's, it's from an advanced alien hostile species. 
Is that far-fetched, that? Because it might be. Some people might think that's ridiculous, the scenario I've given there. But but then if we were to go back a few years, many of the things that have happened, people were saying were ridiculous, so they would never happen, right? So yeah. um, once that this door has kind of opened now, where people are accepting kind of outrageous things from their state representatives, you know, outrageous claims from their media. So it's no longer... Uh, you know, wild to suggest these things. You know, that's the way I thought. I'll start with that, that we've seen now that the big lie, you know, has been wheeled out several times in the last few years. So uh, we cannot underestimate the size of the lies that the future holds for us, right? Um, and the other thing with this, of course, is it would allow for absolute kind of authoritarian, centralized control. And that's the direction of all of the events that we've seen. So if Earth was then supposedly under that threat, or even um, strongly suspect to be under that threat. You know, they said, look, the aliens are real. We strongly believe that they're hostile or there's a threat that they're hostile. We need to completely control communications because they can be monitoring them. We need to yeah. cut off, you know, certain voices. We need to be monitoring all of your communication. <laughs> you know, you can start to see how that can go. And the idea we need a centralized Earth command defense system, you know. These are the kind of things that, that, that the wet dream for the authoritarian kind of ruling class. Hey, Bruce, I'm um, I'm slow tonight, Bruce. I'm slow tonight, mate. You're giving me a kick in the arse. You're bang on. There wouldn't be any Twitter. They'd kill the internet, wouldn't they? They'd kill the right, internet. You know, yeah. Extraordinary threat. You know, an unprecedented extraordinary threat. And yeah, and, and, and enabling all kinds of narratives to be wheeled out. And the level of fear in the average person would be that they would be absolutely supporting that, you know, these people need to save us. And we've seen that mentality in the past. Uh, you know, say so it would be that they need to save us. And, you know, Bruce, Richie, you know, you're a bloody danger to us all. You know, shut up. Um, so, yeah, that would be a big problem. And conversely, you know, because also I, I do suggest that there are the intelligences, you know, not only that, lots of people do. That another thing that we could see is evidence, or maybe they have, you could say, evidence of benevolent aliens and that they don't want other people to know that and then paint some legitimate aliens as being negative because they don't want us to engage with them there's all kinds of scenarios that could yeah. be happening in the background of this of why it's happening now because even any aliens right it just says anything that is above the hierarchy that we live within with this ruling class, if there's another intelligence, and let's say it can fly around in space and do other, well, then it's above them, right? What would the average person think about an intelligence that arrived here and was going to engage with us? They're going to immediately think, well, hang on a minute, these beings know a damn lot more than my government. You know, they've managed across time and space. You know, they've got these technologies. What do we care about what the president of America says or, you know, the, the prime minister of the UK? Yeah. They would become sort of functionally irrelevant. And I've seen a really good paper on this, a guy who kind of says that there's no way that the kind of hierarchy we live in could tolerate the idea of there being something else above that people look to. So I think that, you know, legitimate aliens, you know, say friendly ones, are a kind of a threat, but not a threat to you and me, Richard. They're a threat to that system that we already see as toxic. And so it, it may well be that we are seeing some level of um, defending itself, you know, from potential uh, engagement with a neutral or, you know, or benevolent species as well. So that I take quite seriously as well, that they could be preparing to kind of paint 
you know, any aliens as bad because they can only really deal with bad aliens. Any other kind is a problem for their system. Yeah, you because know? because it it will carry knowledge that it, it could be of, mm-hmm. of great benefit to humanity. Like yeah. th- this is how you never need to worry about heat or light ever again. We can show you. We've got a device, right, that you can mm-hmm. share. All of this stuff. Bruce Fenton is our guest. And I, I do want you to go to Bruce on Twitter, but go to brucefenton.substack.com. It's brilliantly put together, your Substack, by the way, my friend. I see quite a lot of Substacks, uh, you know, and and they're interesting. But my God, you've, you've, you've put some work into yours. It's terrific. Techno Signatures, the search for alien technologies. And I will ask you in a few minutes, because time does go very quickly when, when, yeah. we're, when we're having these conversations. I'll ask you about examples of reverse engineered technology. Uh, not examples as such, but a lot of our listeners believe as I believe, that human beings came very far, very quickly in the last 50, 60 years in terms of the things we can do. So we might talk about that. But let's talk about this lady in Mexico. Because I've been around the block enough times and I'm a sceptic, I'm cynical. I don't believe this lady is a liar. I don't buy that for a minute. And I'm not saying I believe the children are speaking to, (coughs) excuse me, an, an, an extraterrestrial um, race. I'm not saying they are. Something else might be going on. But I do not believe she's lying. She's, I think, saying it as she believes it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what have you made of that, number one? And what, what, what do we understand when she talks about the Pleiadians or the Pleiadians? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's an area which I find really fascinating, the idea of contact at a psychical kind of level with other intelligences, because, you know, humanity has a deep history of that kind of experience. Now, people can debate what is exactly happening there, but we know right back to the first kind of shamans, you know, tens of thousands of years ago, humans have had experiences that they certainly perceive or experience as being them in contact with non-human intelligences. I mean, that for me is a baseline foundational fact. You know, we can look at, um, you know, mediums or shamans or, or healers, channelers, whatever people want to call these different, you know, functions. But certainly there are people who have these experiences that for them feel like they are engaging with a non-human intelligence. So uh, I don't think anyone can really sit there and say every single one of those people through the whole history of time was a liar, you know, or was as mad as a bag of cats. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think that is an absolutely outrageous position to take. I know there are people that try and take that position, but it's outrageous. You know, so this is part of human experience. So I'd start with that. What is it they're in contact with? Well, I mean, we can debate that. Is it a part of some subconscious aspect of humanity, you know, some collective consciousness that in there is, you know, elements of information that we feel like we're talking to an alien that it's not? You know, maybe, maybe that's part of the story. Um, but also, you know, we have so many accounts of people having interactions with spirit people, you know, whether it's relatives or, or just not normal living people you know and so many of those accounts well what are those beings where are they coming from how do they exist so we have these many many uh, cases of people interacting with what are not physical human beings that something that they can have information comes to them from again i'd say that is to me objectively real i'm sure everyone on here listening knows at least some people that would say they've had those kinds of experiences right so aliens when you get to that it's not that different you know it's the idea there is some other kind of intelligence that may be physical may not be physical that some people are having these interactions with 
and that they get information from them. They have some kind of conversation, some kind of exchange, and in some cases get useful information. Now, the other thing is, and there's an interesting history to that kind of contact, because if you look at the space program, a lot of key people in the space program were involved in the occult and believed that they were getting information from non-human intelligences that allowed them to build real-world technologies. Now, for example, um, Parsons, who was central to the, the start of the Jet Propulsion Lab, he was doing occult rituals with Alistair Crowley, right, and interacting with what he claims to have been, you know, higher beings that told him how to build rocket booster systems that he did build. He, bu he built a pentagram-shaped uh, uh, fuel burning system for the rockets, right, that worked. So there's a question there. If these people are rational sane scientists that do amazing things, but they're telling us they're interacting with some kind of aliens that give them these technologies and those technologies are working like that puts it, so I think that puts the skeptics in an awkward position. It does. Yeah. It's, you're it's talking not, about, sorry, Bruce, you're talking about Jack Parsons. Is that right? Right. Yes. Yes. So he's one example of this, but the Russian space program, they also had a chap, I've forgotten the guy's name, but who was central to the beginning of their space program, who also said that, you know, he was getting information from, non-human intelligences for their space program right and um and then you've got uh the the head of you know the original heads of nasa and again which is some of these names around my head again but you know the the nazi guy from the paperclip that came over and essentially founded yeah NASA. yeah yeah I mean, yeah he also if you look at his biography he also uh, believed that he was a, a psychic and had higher abilities uh, and they actually they brought in Uri Geller to visit NASA, and Uri Geller has said that he was shown uh, techno uh, remnant technologies and alien bodies at NASA uh, as well. So there's a, again, so you got a psychic in there visiting another guy, Bleasy psychic. You've got Parsons channeling entity, and these people are actually <gasps> building the space program, right? So it, it, it's the public tends to have this view that it's all stuff and nonsense and nobody who's sensible takes any notice and yet on the other end of the scale people at the cutting edge they're having these experiences i mean even even the guy that gave us the pcr test right the original inventor of that and obviously it's been misused he was an alien abductee he said he was out in the forest and he saw what seemed to be an almost technicolor uh, raccoon-like being that talked to him in the woods and then he blacked out and he, he was like the next day and he was realized that he'd had some kind of contact with a non-human intelligence and been left somewhere else in the woods. And so these are people that, you know, a Nobel winning scientist who invented the PCR test, you know, so are we going to keep saying that these are it's all cranks, uh, you know, and people making stuff up or that this isn't real. And yet these are the people that are creating amazing technologies this is new this is news to me if i'm i've never been more busy um than i am now speaking with you so i've just done a load of googling while listening to you i didn't miss a word everything you've said there is right um you know it's right of course but it's my job to challenge mm. you so my listeners will be expecting sure. me to jump in but uh, but you're right about Kerry mullis um there's a yep. great article national geographic which says what you've just said the eccentric scientist behind the gold standard uh, COVID test, occult. Um, four Nazis were awarded the NASA Distinguished Service Medal um, for their work on Operation Paperclip. 100%. Mm -hmm. And we know what they were doing in Nazi Germany. So you're bang on the yeah. money. And there was another um, link I wanted to give people. If I can just go back. Uh, there was another link. 
because you said something else there and I had a link for it. But but you're right, the occult. Yeah, it was about Jack Parsons. Yeah, you're right. There's a wonderful article. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a wonderful article which I had. Again, it was um, it was a mainstream newspaper. I can't find it now, but I had it on my desktop. And it was to do with the occult leanings or interest of of Jack Parsons. So so yes, this is obviously yeah. important and should be explored. What were they really doing? Right. And the other thing, so then we see someone um, like this, you know, this young lady in Mexico, and she's having these experiences. She's claiming that she's in contact with these beings, these Pleiadians. And it's, I think it's very easy for everyone to kind of sneer at that, you know, and say, you know, she's delusional or she just wants clicks on TikTok. But then, but it's happening to such a range of people, like I say, top scientists, all kinds of people. It's not just, you know, I say, let's say holistic therapists or the kind of, you know, the, you know, this kind of um, prejudice people like they think it's just these cranky people. Anyway, it's happening to all kinds of people. So when you hear that, you know, someone is saying that, you know, their family is having these experiences, shouldn't have this knee-jerk thought that everyone who does that, you know, is is away with the fairies. You know, because it just isn't true. We can see there's a long history of very rational, logical people, uh, you know, Nobel Prize winning people, all sorts of people that are saying they're having these experiences. The Pleiadians bit is really interesting as well, because if you look into the records of anthropology, what you'll find is claims of contact with or even ancestry to the Pleiades are very widespread, particularly amongst the Native Americans, where there's several different tribal nations who either suggest that they have ancestors in the Pleiades or that the, you know, the, we call the star family, or that there is uh, souls that can go back to the Pleiades from us, that we have these souls, or that there's been interaction with beings from the Pleiades. And that's in the law of multiple tribes. There's one, there's a really interesting guy from the Cree up in Canada, and he talks about that they, when they look up at the sky and they see the Pleiades, they consider that to be this kind of, uh, the hole in the sky that, and it's from there that the web, the great web, the grandmother spider kind of joins to the earth, that it puts down a thread from there to, to earth. And that's our link to the greater web. Now, as this now elder was explaining, he said, today, we would call that a spatial anomaly or a wormhole. He said, so basically, we view it as there is a wormhole that links the network out there to us. And it's at the Pleiades. Well, that's really, really interesting because, again, if you look at um, other accounts like in Indigenous Australia, they also have stories of, uh, of a hollowed out tree trunk or a tunnel or ladder that connected to the Pleiades when the seven sisters came down here and were on the earth doing all sorts of creation stuff in the dream time. And that there was, again, these are descriptions of some kind of spatial anomaly or wormhole but put into terms that you know humans you know back in the past could have conceptualized uh, and again certainly it's not too familiar i'd say you know look at the actually the the amazing astonishing collection of accounts around the world whether you look in jungle tribes in the amazon where you've got the i think it's the uh we we people or something like that but they they claim that a princess from the pleiades came to earth as a ball of light uh or seeing the troubles of the humans and she flew to the amazon jungle um so you, i mean it's all over the yeah, world it's all over she, the world isn't accounts it? of these connections to the pleiades in particular right so not just so there's beings out there but in particular the pleiades and through modern kind of contact law 
it comes up again and again as well. And so this woman is, you know, a perfect living example of a much older and much more widespread um, set of accounts, you know, and traditions around the idea that that at least that region of space has some kind of intelligence in it, which has a deep history with our planet. You know, and I touch on that, of course, in, in my book as well, I talk about uh, some of you, I talk about the connection with the Pleiades as well. And I also wrote the forward for uh, an unfortunately deceased researcher, a friend of mine, Leonard Farah. Um, he, he's read several books on this Pleiades law around the world. So you can look for Leonard Farah's books. Uh, he goes into a lot of detail about the connections you find all around the world, including ancient Sumeria and elsewhere, that it seems that nearly all these, yeah, really deep cultures, ancient Egyptians as well, that they would talk about the Pleiades as being particularly important. So I think people should read that article and listen to, you know, what this young lady is saying and keep these things in mind because it's very easy to say to kind of sneer and think, you know, someone's just on some TikTok. Yeah, they, they, they shouldn't sneer. No, many years ago, the very, for, very first interview I ever did about on this topic um, during my days in Spain was with uh, Whitley Strieber. And um, I reached out to him and I'd read the book and I'd seen the Christopher Walken film and he came on. I enjoyed listening to him and I had done a bit of research and I, I had realised that he, he'd had a really successful career before he made the claims about what happened to him um, in upstate New York. And I couldn't figure out for the life of me what he had to gain from saying it. And over mm -hmm. the years, you know, right, today we're living in a TikTok generation and we're, we're living in a social media generation. So I can listen to an argument that somebody is trying to make a name for themselves. It doesn't mean they are, but I can hear that argument because you know, narcissism is certainly on the rise in, 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 in current times. But for years and years and years, going back to the 50s, 60s, even before that, there was nothing in it for people other than probably being thrown into a sanitarium, you know, saying that they saw something or they saw a grey or they heard a voice. So I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you, Bruce. I just want to do a quick bit of housekeeping because it's very important. Bruce Fenton is our guest. Please check Bruce out at Substack, brucefenton.substack.com. Uh, his book, Exogenesis, is a great read, folks. You know, it's incredibly prescient. So do check it out. Uh, you'll find it. Where, where, where should people go to buy Exogenesis, um, Bruce? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's possible to get it at any bookshops if you go in and ask if they haven't got it on the shelves um you can of course order it on amazon so if you do want a signed copy i'm kind of open to doing that you know someone's to email me or message me through twitter um they can email me at fenton underscore bruce at yahoo.co.uk if you're interested i can probably sell them through ebay and make that signed copy but otherwise yeah you know all, all bookshops can order it in so they should be able to get hold of a copy Brilliant, Bruce. Speaking of Joe Rogan, I've never given as much promotion to um, another broadcaster as I have for him in my in my life. It's not that we don't like to compliment people. It's just you don't really do it, really. But um, I, I enjoyed the long-form conversations. And he had, he had Graham Hancock on, um, who interests me uh, somewhat, even though he very rudely told me to feck off a few years ago when I invited him on this programme for a chat. But that's fair enough, that's his prerogative not to come on. But I was interested in him talking about this, you know, this hypothesis about the younger, driest impact that about 11,000 or so years ago, um, we there was an advanced civilization that is not documented and that it was wiped out by uh, a comet impact or something like that. And where Joe Rogan didn't go, and maybe he did in previous conversations with Hancock, but I would have loved him to go, which was, um, well, then it might be very possible 
that the advanced civilization that might have been wiped out 11,000 years ago might have been even far more advanced maybe than, than maybe we are today in 2023. I mean, that might be a possibility. And if so, what was going on back then? You know, and was contact a thing back then? And was it known back then that um, advanced alien civilizations um, existed? And was there, was there interaction? I, I, I love all of this because it's all possible, isn't it? What do you think of that whole theory, this younger, driest comet 11,000 years ago? What do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, it is interesting that um, the possibility is there that because we think about today, like not all civil, not all people on Earth today live in an advanced civilization. So the first thing we can think is, well, there's no reason to think that, let's say, 13,000 years ago, that some people reached an advanced level. It wouldn't have to be all around the globe. So if there was a catastrophe that kind of destroyed that civilization, it, it wouldn't have to be even be global. Do you know what I mean? It would just have to have impacted that area because it might have been only, you know, if you look at these legends of like Atlantis and stuff, you know, an, an island civilization, that if there was a really a kind of a, a high, you know, highly developed civilization and it was limited mostly to one region, if that region was inundated in a catastrophe, the, the rest of the world might not really have understood even the technologies and the knowledge of that. So though they would survive, all they would know is some stories of, oh, do you remember those those weird people that used to, you know, drive around in cars? Yeah, yeah. But they, they wouldn't understand any of it. They wouldn't have so it wouldn't come through to us today and you wouldn't find traces all around all around the world. You know, some people say, Well, where is that technology? You know, why don't we find it in I don't know, say, you know, in Egypt or wherever you're looking? It may have been just one culture that was in a fairly, you know, isolated place, didn't share its knowledge with everybody, and that when it was wiped out, um, there wasn't much else out there, you know, beyond where its kind of central cities were. So that's a kind of, is a possibility. So where's all the, you know, the machines or something? Well, they could have been in a very limited area that we have not looked. There's a lot of the world we still haven't explored, particularly under the sea, you know? Yeah. Our record for undersea archaeology is pretty poor. I mean, now with drone tech, I'd like to think that we will start to, see a lot more of the sunken coastline evidence um my suspicion is there's an awful lot down there and including potentially you know remnants of that you know atlantis or whatever name you want to put on it i know that can bring a lot of baggage with it sometimes you know say atlantis but but some kind of lost civilization um and also there's yeah there is legends and kind of stories that atlantis may have been in contact with aliens you know and that it, it, we'd reached a point then when we were seen as worth talking to and that there was some kind of open communication with another civilization again maybe these Pleiadians or whoever and that then when this catastrophe happened that that also was kind of cut off and we returned to being a planet with just primitive civilizations and the wheel kind of starts again so i think that you know is definitely something i'm open-minded about i think that there's you know there's a at least anecdotal evidence of that the physical evidence of like high tech, you know, is quite limited. Obviously, we look at things like stone cutting and moving of blocks. And, you know, obviously, there was some kind of highly advanced engineering knowledge, right? And technologies we didn't, we don't yet quite understand. But of course, we haven't seen the direct evidence of that they had spaceships or, you know, like laser guns or something. But, you know, that again, it's not to say that it's impossible, but we haven't seen that kind of evidence. We just know that there was knowledge that we haven't understood just yet how you know how these things were done you know, look at the great pyramid obviously we know that there's mysteries to how and why 
these civilizations could have built something so enormous and complex, you know. So there's definitely a, a, a trail of knowledge into the past that we are not fully understanding, right? So yeah. I'm kind of open-minded about it, but I also wouldn't say that we've really substantiated that there was high tech. Yeah, the evidence time, of the yeah. high tech is an issue. We, we've mm. we've literally only got ten minutes, so so what what I'm going to ask you to do is obviously come back in in January because it'd be lovely in January. I mean, we'd be fed up after Christmas. We we won't want to be talking about politics and prime ministers' questions. So it'd be lovely to get mm. a two hour chat with you, uh, Bruce. Um, maybe even maybe even do a round table. But um, we're not done yet. We have ten minutes. But I wanted to ask you two two quick questions. There's a really interesting question from Ali. And it's about something a French-American astrobiologist has said recently about Mars. I'll ask you that in a second by way of wrapping up. I, what I find curious is, as time goes on, um, many people, including people I know and like, and I'm not. this is not a loaded comment now because everybody's entitled to their own opinion, but I'm finding increasingly more and more people are starting to look at into this kind of flat earth, which I kind of reject utterly, really. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything mm -hmm. for me. Um, is that something you have noticed and what are your thoughts on it? What, what do you think is going on when so many people start to say, well, maybe it's a bit crazy to think we're on a spinning ball, spinning around a big star um, and all of that. What, 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 how do you react to that? I'm sure you, you come across it from time to time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I do see it as, in my view, as partly an outcome of the, the realisation by so many people that the bulk of the mainstream narratives they've been given are either you know entirely wrong or at least contain a lot of deception and so then it takes you right back to a foundational question of you know is anything real you know is anything that i've heard real is our history real? is you know is even the nature of this planet the way it's been described to me and of course so then if you start looking at that and digging into it you'll find all of these you know you'll find older videos from the people that were into these topics you know 20 years ago obviously it wasn't as many but you're you know they'll find that there is some argument for that and and then obviously with some of the manipulation i think from nasa in terms of the imagery that they've shared you know you can see how it starts to reinforce the view that hang on there's a great deception here and uh, maybe it's that the you know entire planet isn't the way i i think it is and, and conversely also there is questions about the nature of reality and also how the universe functions and one of those is the idea that maybe we're in a vast hologram yeah and in that model right it's kind of a flat universe and that that reality the 3d experience we have is projected from information at the edges of a flat universe so that's kind of funny so yeah it may be again an outgrowth of the, like, this feeling the sense or having encountered information like that that we live in this weird flat plane where we experience it as this 3d world so in some respects maybe they're not entirely wrong maybe we are in some flat plane cd disc you know playing in some alien well computer. said bruce well said you know, it, yeah so i don't i don't ridicule people because i realize that there's so many mysteries but yeah i don't find it compelling and i'm pretty like you i've seen some of the debunks you know like uh there's a guy i think they they put two sticks you know i don't know miles apart with a hole in it and shine a light and it should line if it's straight you know if it was flat earth it should go straight through right and then they show actually you know they have to like lift the other stick yeah like, because it's the curve That's so right. we've seen these and we've seen the debunks where they've sent up rockets trying to prove in they debunk themselves so for my mind you know and again i'd applaud them for actually doing those experiments 
Well, the right. thing about because, you is, the, sorry, you know, at least they've done them. They've done them. The humility shines out of you. I like people like I don't dismiss people either as kooks or cranks. I say, listen, fair enough. And you've had a look at it, and you've said, you know, that there are some aspects of it which are interesting to you. I like that. As for the holographic element of it, I I know nothing, and I think I'm enriched by that fact that I know I know nothing. But if I did have to put a couple of quid on an outcome being correct, my couple of quid would be that we are in some sort of simulation and that maybe mm-hmm. it was created by some advanced um, version of ourselves, maybe. And that would be my silly kind of a little kind of an inkling. But that do- doesn't, of course, discount that we are multidimensional and that there are other um, advanced races. I, I would totally buy all this and this is why I think your research and the research of your colleagues is incredibly valuable and particularly in light of what might be coming down the pipeline in terms of governments trying to unite us around uh, this kind of um, we're, we're at battle with a hostile alien race as, as a way of finally kind of tying up people and imprisoning people or imprisoning our, our, our consciousness. Bruce, we'll get into all of that next time and uh, with your permission, obviously, and uh, I, I, we should do a, a proper full two-hour show. But in the time that's left, um, this came in from quite a few people, but it, it's come in from Ali. If I can just bring it up here, and we've only got five, six minutes to do this. It's a good one from Ali and it's about um, a French-American astrobiologist called Nathalie Cabral. Um, she worked for NASA and in a recent interview with uh, National French Radio, she said that she's convinced that Mars once definitely had habitable conditions and was most likely habited. The Mars we know now is the remains of a planet which died a very long time ago. And a lot of people who are really interested in this subject, in ufology, in UAPs, a lot of people I hear from, they believe that Mars and the Moon, funny enough, but Mars is maybe the key to unlocking a lot of secrets. What do you reckon about Mars, Bruce? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that there's a high potential sort of chance that Mars did have life and, you know, potentially a civilization on it, you know, long ago. Uh, there's some tantalizing evidence that suggests that it may have even had a nuclear war. And I'm sure some of your listeners have seen that. There's, you know, researchers written a couple of books on that, the idea that there were, you know, some of the nuclear waste kind of traces on Mars that we only know to be produced during nuclear bomb blasts, right? So there's some, so, so there's really interesting, you know, aspects to the, you know, the geology of Mars. Well, they look like something, you know, catastrophic, clearly. Yeah happen there right um so i think that i'm open to mind to that the other thing of course is that if there was life first on mars you know we know that martian meteorites get you know blown across you know if there was something like that as well a catastrophe that you know smashed pieces off of it that is quite possible that you know bacteria or simple life forms from mars seeded earth in the first place and that you know that our, our you know first organisms here might be martian organisms so you know yeah it could well be that we detect life there and find that it's the same dna and that we're related to it and that you know we may go on to find traces of you know some of the imagery from mars does look tantalizing you know it does look like there could have been you know cities and you know technologies you know i know it's, it's of course hard to judge of course from a, a photo but i mean i think most of us have seen you know at least some images that make us think well that's that's odd you know that looks a bit like something you know a vehicle or a house or a crashed ship or so i mean i do think that the potential is there to you know maybe make a huge discovery of a lost civilization or, or something on mars like that or like like i say or life that is related to us life that maybe is our ancestor yeah. on Mars. so yeah i'm open-minded about that you've got the i, I the think the moon also yeah i think the moon is 
the moon is amazing. A um, couple of quick fire questions for the laugh. Quick fire now. We've got like literally three minutes. Um, is the moon hollow? Does it ring when objects hit it? It has at least vast cavities in it. So they have detected significant ongoing kind of reverberations from when they've done impacts onto the moon. So they know there are at least large cavities in the moon, even if it isn't entirely hollow. It's got unexpectedly large cavities in it. Um, so again, are those deliberately hollowed out? The moon also has traces, again, of, of uh, radioactive isotopes and stuff, again, which suggests some kind of industrial processes on the surface uh, and also has an unexpectedly high levels of, I think it's titanium or other very strong metals on the surface that would protect it if it had been some kind of generational ship, you know, hollowed out moon, yeah. artificial moon that had flown here from somewhere else, you know. So some of the researchers in the past have kind of pointed to these anomalies and said, you know, did the moon drive here you know from some route yeah. so, and we can't just i just think we cannot dismiss these when they sound kind of zany but we're starting to look at these ideas now at the cutting edge of science as to, you know how would we do things and a lot of times it it kind of loops back to things that people have theorized in the past and we're starting to see actually maybe that's what we would do so yeah i i don't think it's so easy to turn and say all these ideas are just you know super far out you know they're they're possible for civilizations that are far ahead of us, put it that way. They're not zany at all. And in the 90 seconds we have left, um, maybe maybe we'll pick this up next time in a longer show. Um, Corrine want, wants to know about Antarctica. Is it protected, closed off to the public? Because there might be important evidence there of advanced civilizations. Is there some kind of embargo, that's the wrong way to put it, on Antarctica? Right. Well, in my research, and I know I, I do tackle this on the substacks, but I'm look at it. I point out that the core case that I'm looking at, which is evidence of a craft arriving here 788,000 years ago, that it is destroyed in orbit, debris falling all the way across from Indochina to Antarctica, that at the same time, uh, dated to the same period, there is an anomalous uh, impacts in Antarctica. One of them leaves a, a hole 200 by 200 miles in the ice. Five of these impacts at the exact same time dating as I suggest for this large craft being destroyed. Now, it is entirely possible that what, what we have there is the large parts of this craft that I argue you know, was there impacting the ice and going down into the ice. So now, if some of that material was frozen to the present day, I could certainly imagine that uh, you know their discovery would prompt a high level of secrecy and control in those regions. Um, so I'm not saying it definitely is that, but I'm, I'm open-minded to that. And that's kind of the direction the evidence I've been looking at points to, just because the timing is so, so, there, you know, yeah. right there on the same period that I, I write about in the book, you know, you find these impacts in Antarctica at the end of the same debris trail that I, I follow with my discussion of what's called the Australasian tektites, if you can look up, is a, a trail of debris that falls from space all the way from Indochina to Antarctica. So yeah, so I think that they may have found pieces of the craft there, and that would explain some of the strange kind of conspiracies and, and mysteries around the behaviour of scientists and governments. Fascinating, Bruce. Exogenesis, go to your local bookshop, buy a copy of it, it is a terrific read. Um, go to brucefenton.substack.com if you can't get the book go to, to go to Amazon and buy it Bruce will you come back in the very early new year for a longer chat because we love having you on yeah I certainly will yeah and just a last point if, if anyone I'm, I'm doing some presentations live if anyone in their local town has a group or something they'd like me to come and speak to you know I can potentially do that again they can DM me or email me to 
Fenton and Scott Bruce. Hey, let's get you up to Salford, Bruce. Let's get you up to Salford. Yeah. I'd love to come along and, and, and listen in. Let's let's organise that. We'll, yeah, we'll, see, we'll, like, if you get kind of group, you know, people, I'll do my best as long as I can get somewhere, you know, cover my costs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and also I'll be happy to come back and have a longer conversation. That'd be brilliant. It's a, it's a pleasure, mate. Um, it, it was too long. Love having you on, Bruce. Fascinating. Great food for thought. Have a great rest of uh, your Wednesday and speak soon. Bye for now. Thank you very much. Bye Thank bye. you, Bruce. The lovely Bruce Fenton. Uh, the author and researcher live on Wednesday's Richie Allen show. Great guy, isn't he? Can't wait to have him back. Uh, should have been before now, funnily enough, one of those things. Uh, thank you to him. Uh, thank you for, for your questions and your points. Thanks again to David Vance for coming on the programme earlier. Thank you, David. Uh, I'll be back early, very early tomorrow morning with the Papers podcast, right? The Papers, right? It's not a live thing. It is a recording. It is a podcast which you'll get wherever you get your podcast. It isn't anything too uh, fancy now. It's just 20 plus minutes talking about whatever is in the papers uh, on any given day. So that's the papers. Do check that out. And I'm back with you tomorrow where um, Dr. Ahmad Malik is one of my guests. Um, He's a lot going on at the moment. And uh, he's had some um, pretty shocking news today which you might um, be aware of. It'll be on his social media channels. So Dr. Ahmad Malik will be with me tomorrow, as will Sean Walsh, the journalist and writer. So it's busy again tomorrow, Thursday. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a good way to have it. Yeah, lovely. Right, that's it for me. Uh, thank you. Speak tomorrow. Look after yourselves and one another. Closing out the programme with Tracy Ullman today. Because I feel about it. I said I wouldn't play any Christmas songs before December. This sounds very Christmassy. Bye now. Bye now.